Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ticket City presents Why You Go to the Game to See Georgia Southern. The play is known simply as The Run. Peterson took a handoff up the middle, broke a tackle at the line of scrimmage, spins away from the next defender he meets, and he shakes off a diving tackler. 30 yards down the field, he meets another defender and literally throws him out of the way with his right arm, grabs him by the shoulder pad, and swipes him off onto the sideline. It was really so surreal because the place is going completely berserk during the run until he throws off that defender. He throws off that defender, the whole place went silent, stone silent, like an intake of breath. It was just so amazing. Nobody had ever seen it before. And then, of course, the place exploded again after they all caught their breath. Put yourself in the action with Ticket City. Visit savannahnow.com slash sports and click on tickets. Oh, he will. Adrian Peterson is taking care of things right now. Down the sideline. If he can get loose, he's gone. Illigway will score. The Wesley Fields. Touchdown. Georgia Southern. All right, Georgia Southern fans, welcome to another week of Georgia Southern Extra. I am Travis Sagan, as always, joined by Greg Talbot of WSAV. Greg, how are you? I'm doing pretty good, buddy. Uh, my voice is still kind of gone from the South, from the uh, from the South Alabama game, but you know, uh, we're getting through. Yeah, I think the, the Eagles are on a short week, and I think a lot of fans are are trying hard to recover from homecoming festivities, and they're on a short week too. So. I think everyone's kind of feeling the after effects. Uh, but it was a big win in Paulson Stadium, a 48-13 win for Georgia Southern on homecoming to 4-1 for the first time since 2015 and heading into to Texas State to face a, a Bobcats team that's really not on par with Georgia Southern um, at 16-point favorites. So um, exciting week. We're going to come out with this today early, uh, today on Tuesday, since Georgia Southern is facing uh, Texas State on a Thursday. So. Uh, you hope you guys enjoy it. Let's jump right into our four downs. I'll start, Greg, by saying, by kind of addressing something that I've seen a lot recently, and I guess it's a product of, of just winning football games. I've seen stuff recently using a quote last year from, from Tom Kleinlein that said basically that fans were asking too much from the program too quickly because uh, of their success in the first two years. So in other words, 2014 season was successful, um, obviously. 2015, they go to the GoDaddy Bowl, and they win that, and that's their success, obviously. And then, you know, for the last two years, it's been it's been pretty bad. And so I think, you know, I guess Kleinlein had said something along the lines of fans don't realize that this stuff takes time, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the point is that I've seen a lot of people argue it is easy if you have the right coach. Well, that's not true. Just because Chad Munster is 4-1 and one, doesn't mean what he's done isn't incredibly hard. I mean, it's incredibly hard to do what Munster has done and to do, and just to win football games in general. But to take a team that was 2-10 and 10 and to make them believe this quickly and to take, you know, 
a lot of people, myself included, I think, and kind of change their minds of this program really quickly is incredibly hard to do. And so I don't want to pretend like going four and one, you know, and this whole process for Lunsford and this team has been easy because it hasn't been, you know? Yeah, I, I would say I am really, 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 really impressed, man, with, with how fast it's happened. It was funny. I was in the I was in the break room with, with our general manager this morning here at WSAV, and he was kind of asking about the Georgia Southern season. And he's like, well, how do they do it so fast? And I said, really, it was a change that came from the top. And it was Chad Lunsford, because he had been there so long, understanding how to make it happen so fast. I mean, someone's going to write a book if they win the conference this year. Like, really, it, it's been the most unbelievable fast turnaround. And I think we thought there was such a deep – hold on what was wrong the last two years I think it, it you tell me if you think I'm wrong Travis I kind of think looking now that we almost kind of overdiagnosed it yeah no I'm with you I agree I agree 100 so what's what do you want to do for second down what you got all right my second down is I was really impressed with how much Bob the best spread the love this week uh because the last game against Arkansas State it was really kind of a limited amount of people who he had touched the ball on offense it was really just Wurtz and Fields, and occasionally Garrett, and Wesley Kennedy. Like, that was really about it against Arkansas State. But the way he was spreading the love on uh, on this last game against South Alabama to so many. I mean, Darian Anderson hadn't made a catch this year for Georgia Southern. And he got a big touchdown. And, and, and Monteo Garrett had his best game of the year. And he was getting Matt LaRoche involved. Like, I, I really enjoyed seeing the amount of guys he wanted to get experience with. Yeah, I, you know, what was interesting to me, LaRoche got a first-quarter carry, which, I, you know, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm pretty sure that's the first-quarter carry he's gotten, man, possibly the first, first half carry he's gotten. So Speedy LaRoche getting in early in the game was was nice to see. Yeah, and then, Greg, on the, the best thing, spreading the ball around, it is a fine line. You know, I find myself sometimes asking the coordinators of the teams I watch to, to spread the ball around, you know, get somebody else involved. And then when they do that, sometimes we get – upset and then we begged them to get the ball to their playmakers and so you know it's a fine line but when an offensive coordinator has called a good football game and he's called a balanced football game it's easy to tell so you know everyone can 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 get the ball to their playmakers here and there but to to be able to do it at the right times and spread it out accordingly is is you know invaluable to have third down for me um greg we get we got to give some love to the offensive line because they're getting better and we haven't really had to talk about it. You know, offensive lines are a lot like baseball umpires and really umpires and referees and everything. If if you don't talk about them at all and the game's over, that means they played a great game or that means they called a great game, you know. So I think the, the fact that we haven't had to bring up the offensive line and we haven't had to talk about the offensive line over the last two weeks is an incredibly surprising development for me. I, I think that when you drop back, you know, obviously the more times you drop back, Shywards dropped back eight times this past weekend, you know, for an attempted pass. When you drop back eight times, it's tough to ask this offensive line to hold up all eight times, and they, they more or less did. And the offensive line going across from left tackle to right tackle of Colbert, um, kind of Lawrence Edwards, and Aaron Dowdell at left guard, Curtis Rainey, and then Jacob Cooper and Savannah native Brian Miller. Those guys have really begun to develop and kind of come into their own, I think, Greg. What about you? 
Yeah, and and I was a little bit, I mean, not a little bit, and it wasn't just me. You and I were both worried following that week one performance against South Carolina State and how unable Southern against an FCS team to be able to execute kind of a simple dive play for more than between one and three yards at a time. The fact that in a pretty short time, they've been able to execute so many different facets and blocking schemes into Bass's offense so effectively – it was a really fast turnaround, and I don't know what he did, but I have gone from not being high on this offensive line to considering them one of the best parts on this team that I'm bullish on. Yeah, and again, I think it just you know, proves that over time, if you find the right five guys, you find five guys that, that have enough talent, eventually they're going to mesh and they're going to get together. So I think that's, that's all we were asking for earlier in the year, Greg, was kind of for the carousel to stop. And I think it more yeah, or less has and, and and with that carousel stopping has come improvement. So, um, Greg, uh, what you got from fourth down for us? Okay, uh, I know that life gets busy the older you get. Adult life, especially when you have events to go to and friends and families and girlfriends and wives and work things. I, I know life gets busy. We're, we're getting to the age, Travis, where life starts to get really busy for us. But, um... I really don't know what else Georgia Southern can possibly do to get the fans to show up because that crowd on Saturday for a homecoming game, after they had just beat the consensus favorite to win the conference, that looked like the UMass game. And and that was a conference game on homecoming and coming off their biggest win in, in years. I was. I don't have a dog in the fight. I'm not a Georgia Southern graduate, but I was really hoping that Eagle Nation was going to show up. And I kind of, for the first time this year, I'm wondering that even though the internal program thing was overdiagnosed with what Tyson did inside the program, clearly there has been some serious loss of interest from fans because of what happened with Tyson the last two years. Um, I could have sworn we were going to see 20,000 for the homecoming game on Saturday after they beat Arkansas State, and it was just – it was a really underwhelming crowd. And, and I know it wasn't a close game, but it seemed like all the students left right after halftime after the homecoming thing. Like, you can tell me if you disagree. I was really underwhelmed, and I, I don't know what else the team can do to get people out there. No, yeah, Greg, I mean, it was noticeable. I mean, it was noticeable. And, yeah, it gets to a point where you're kind of, you know, you're kind of bringing up a subject that, that brings the rest of the program down a little bit because here's a team that's – and Mike Anthony of the States Royal Herald wrote, wrote a pretty good column this week about this. He said, you know, this is a team that's responded to what the fan base wanted, what the fan base begged for, what the fan base, you know, wanted Tyson Summers fired for this is the team that, that they've asked for and they've been given it immediately. And so for the response to be, you know, l- less than, less than ideal, I'll say that. Underwhelming. Yeah. Underwhelming, you know, and, and then on homecoming, you know, every game, there's something we could point to that says, maybe this is why they didn't show up. And, but I'm kind of running out of it. Not this one, man. The, the last couple of, yeah, yeah, this one. Yeah. There's really nothing you can say. I mean, I don't, understand what it's going to take. I'm, mean, you know, like you said, we don't really have dogs in the fights. We're not alumni, but I don't, I don't know what else to do. We're not going to, people aren't going to keep begging fans to come to the stadium. I mean, I guess perhaps Chad Lunsford might keep begging, but 
again, I do want to say that the people that are showing up, the atmosphere is still electric. It's still, you know, a, a definite home field advantage. But to, to see all those empty seats watching a team that's basically given everything it has and done what the fan base wanted is kind of disheartening, to say the least. Now, uh, so, so here's the thing that I was thinking about when I was broadcasting the game on Saturday is, I was thinking back to my time at Gonzaga, because if you don't know, I'm a Gonzaga Bulldog, graduated in 2013. That's one of the great basketball schools in America. And Final Four this year, Greg? I think so. Um, but so the, the, the point being is that when I was in school for four years, the Gonzaga basketball program prides itself on being the draw of the school, much the way the Georgia Southern football program has always prided itself on being the draw of the school. And yes, all the, the Gonzaga filled the kennel club, which is one of the great student sections in the country. It takes up about a fifth of the entire gym. The Gonzaga kennel club prides itself on showing up not for just the big games, not for when they just played BYU and St. Mary's and Pac-12 schools, but for filling a third of the gym or a fifth of the gym when they're playing the University of Portland and in the, in the University of San Francisco. Like, it is disheartening to me, even as a non-alum, to be up in that broadcast booth being like, where is everybody? What more could they be doing? So part of me wonders, like, yeah, I bet we are going to see a full stadium for App State as long as they beat Texas State and New Mexico State, which they should, right? I mean, that should be because that's a rivalry game. Even though it's on a Thursday night, I bet that will be sold out or not maybe not sold out, but close to sold out. That'll be a really good crowd. Man, I just wish it didn't take App State to get people to the stadium. Yeah, for sure. And and it's, I guess at some point, someone's going to come up with with some kind of a reason why uh, this attendance has been so low. But um, you know, well, part, media- I, I, I asked a couple media members in the press box just during halftime. I kind of walked around and asked experts. I was like, "Where is everybody? What's up?" And, and it, I heard more than once. Some people said the last two years were so devastating that a lot of people stopped paying attention to Southern and started watching Georgia. You mean the last two years in a, as a whole or, or, or on homecoming? No, the last two years. Like the last two years as a whole, yeah. a, a lot of people, multiple people said that Southern got so bad and so against the program's tradition and what the fans wanted that a lot of people said, screw it, I'm going to watch Georgia games from now on. And they're still recovering from that, clearly. Well, here's the thing. I'm not going to – I won't – I won't ever criticize anyone that stops watching a team that goes two and ten. I can't, you know, I'm not going to do that because clearly the product is bad, and you want out. But if you're going to do that, if you're going to if you're going to leave when it, or if you're going to turn the TV set off and sell your ticket when, when the times are bad, then turn the TV set on and buy a ticket when the times are good because you can't have it both ways. If you're asking, if you want to be taken seriously, you know, as a program, and if you want to show a program and the players that indeed you do care and, and not to mention recruits, you know, let's not forget the players that haven't stepped on campus yet. They're watching all of this. They're seeing all this go down, um, you know, on Twitter, they're seeing the numbers come in after every game about, you know, maybe who's there and who's not there. And, you know, if you're asking all that, you're showing these kids basically that if they don't win, and if it's not immediate or if they have one bad year, then they're going to look up and see empty seats. And so I don't know that that's what you want to be telling, you know, future Georgia Southern football players or current Georgia Southern football players. And I know that we're in an era where, where more than ever before, 
there are so many ways you could spend your Saturday afternoon, whether it's watching any one of dozens sure. of other college football games or, or going and doing something with your family or friends. And I get that. But, like, if you're a Georgia Southern alum and you like football and you're in or around Statesboro, including Savannah, man, like, I don't know what it's going to take to get you out of the stadium. Like, I, I'm honest to God, I'm wondering if the last two years – because of the proliferation of entertainment options combined with the team crashing so hard, I'm starting to wonder if there might be people they never get back. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's safe to wonder, Greg, but you know, so we'll close up on the attendance thing, but quickly, I did want to kind of throw out the numbers just so people understand what's going on. So for uh, Georgia Southern home games this year, the average attendance, now these announced attendance, Greg, I think we all realize they're not exactly accurate. And I think we all know what, side they air on so that's my disclaimer for that so four home games this year for georgia southern sixteen thousand three hundred and eighteen is the average so that's about 10 you know close to ten thousand empty seats so that that's not good and it could and it just means that it could be a lot lot better yeah and, and the one that i was kind of surprised that was they announced that this last game was as many as arkansas state and that just didn't seem right to me yeah it's not right i mean it doesn't take you know it doesn't take a genius to see that there's more empty seats one week you know than seven days before. And I know with tickets sold and not butts and seats, I know how that. I mean, I used to work in minor league baseball. Like I mean, it's not something that that it's something everyone does. Now, to be fair, let's not call on Southern without calling other fan bases. Like yes, Georgia Southern's got more fans in the seats than Texas State and Georgia State. And uh, and UL Monroe and often UL Lafayette. Yeah. So, like they're not in the bottom of the conference, but like. Man, like, uh, I, I, Southern prides itself so much on the power of Paulson. And, like, in the three years I've been here, I felt it twice. And, I, and, I, and I'd like to feel it again before the season's done. Right. And, again, like, like I said, just because I, you know, I know that, that Georgia Southern fan base is passionate and that they're not going anywhere. But I guess what we're asking is, is, is why are they not showing up physically in person? But, yeah, I know they still care. I know they still keep up with this team online or, or on TV or watching me, Greg. But, you know, it's going to take some, some commitment from there, too, I think. So let's, let's talk uh, briefly about kind of what went right in that South Alabama game, Greg. Uh, Georgia Southern, you know, got off to a bit of a slow start. Shy Worth said that after the game that, that they wanted to start fast, and unfortunately they couldn't. Uh, I think it was, uh, Greg, here's the, the key moment for me and really – that kind of got the Eagles going was early in the game. They, they go for, I think it was their first drive, actually. They go for fourth down, forward on fourth down in their stop. Uh, and then they hand the ball back over to South Alabama for South Alabama's second drive of the game. Two plays into that drive was when Monquavian Brimson picked off uh, the South Alabama quarterback and nearly returned it to the house. It was Brimson's first pick of the year. He said afterwards that he, he – and the other secondary members were were a little embarrassed that the linebackers had picked off the pass before they had. So he was glad to get that duck off their shoulder, I guess. But it was good to see Brinson get the pick and kind of get the ball rolling. Two plays after the Brinson pick uh, was the, I believe it was the Shy Worth touchdown. No, you're you're exactly right. And, and there are a couple things about that about the early game. Uh, I rarely feel like I'm caught on my heels from the beginning of a broadcast. But the first half of the first quarter, I felt like I had a whiplash. Like it was, it was a punt and an interception and a fumble and then like three right. 
weird illegal formation penalties. Like I felt completely caught off guard watching and broadcasting that game, and I think you probably felt the same way. But what I really enjoyed about that pick for um, for um, Monquavian was that uh, on Friday, the day before the game, I get together with the folks at the Georgia Southern ESPN3 department, and they say, okay, what's the pregame thing that we're going to watch? I said, what we are going to watch is Jamarius Way versus Monquavian Brinson because Way is the best oh, receiver in the top 35 catches, 500 yards. Uh, against Southern's yeah. best corner. And I said, if Monquavian has a good game, they're going to shut down South Alabama. And the fact that he shut way down, he had one catch. The best receiver in the conference had one catch. It was unbelievable. And we didn't even see Jamarius Way really get targeted too often after after uh, Brinson had kind of flexed his muscles. Totally locked down. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And I, I you know, I feel... I probably haven't looked into that enough or asked enough about it, but I don't know. You know, I think that Kendall Vildor and McQuavy and Brinson have been better than what we thought they were going to be. If that's even possible, because I know we were high on them, Greg, especially I was uh, before the year that they were a little underrated. It'll be interesting to see how they match up, you know, not one-on-one with the App State secondary, but just kind of how they both look in person because App yeah. State secondary is highly regarded as well, obviously like the rest of their team. But for me, Brinson and Vildor, they're both they're tied for second in the conference with seven breakup, pass breakups apiece. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Greg, I'm pretty sure that Monquavian and Brinson is still the leading tackler on the team. So, he is. He is. Yeah. So th- those guys have really, really stepped up and kind of changed the outlook of the entire defense because you can, you can do some sp- pretty special things up front with your D-line and your linebackers when you have – two guys like that that you can just basically put on an island and say, hey, here's the best wide receiver in the Sunbelt Conference. Go ahead and shut him down for me. And then, you know, no problem for Brinson and and Vildor. And also, you know, the the safety tandem is playing really lights out. Josh Moon uh, is starting to come into his own along with Sean Freeman. Freeman seems to have one big pass breakup a game. And and I was – I was worried entering Arkansas State about how they would fare. We did not yeah. need to worry. They only gave up one passing touchdown. I was a little bit worried about them against Jamarius Way. Didn't have to worry about it. Like I, and I mean, obviously App State's a different story because they lead the conference in every offensive category pretty much. Yeah, so that's a little bit different. But I, I am no longer worried about defense, which I, I never thought I'd be saying this year. And quickly, let's Greg touch on this on Saturday. Georgia Southern kind of. Showed yet another new wrinkle on the offensive side of the ball under Bob the best, and we've and we've talked at ends on how the offense is is developing, and how it's going to look a little more sophisticated each week, and we're seeing that come into play. I think over the last couple of weeks, Greg, on first down plays, Georgia Southern ran 27 first down plays on Saturday. On those first down plays, they gained 287 yards and scored three of their five offensive touchdowns. So wow. Yeah, so 287 of their 394 total yards came on first down. Damn. All of yeah, and, and all of Shywerts' completions on first, I mean, all of his yards, all 99 of his passing yards on first down. So that's another thing that Bob DeBest has now put on film that seems to, to see and it's another kind of wrinkle that shows that Georgia Southern is capable of really running any play on first down and running it to success clearly after Saturday. So that was encouraging to see, Greg. And I think that's what kind of kept 
the chains moving. I've talked a lot about getting first downs on first and second down and not waiting, you know, until an important third down conversion. And I think Georgia Southern did that on Saturday. No, you're absolutely right. And and speaking of downs, uh, the thing that I was watching entering this game was the third down battle because South Alabama had the best third down defense in the country and in the conference. Uh, Georgia Southern had the second best third down offense in the conference. So, you know, that was a big matchup. And although it, I don't think Southern reached 50%, uh, they got pretty close because uh, I think South Alabama's defense that held opponents to like 32% on third down. So I think Southern. Yeah, they've been pretty good. Them. Yeah, in that battle, they held their own. So, Greg, quickly before we get everybody to our interview with Chef Chardello, uh, the beat writer for Texas State, he's got great insight on kind of what's going on with this program. Greg, have you been able to, to see the, the post game press conference from Texas State? Coach um, Everett Withers from last week. Have you, have you heard? You mean the one where he went straight Jim Harbaugh on the Niners and gave one-word answers? Yeah, kind of folded his arms, you know, tucked his lip in, took his ball, and went home. Just didn't want to participate at all. Uh, the post-game press conference. And, and Kef, who you'll hear from shortly on the podcast, is the guy in this video. I encourage anyone to go on Twitter online and kind of search for it kind of took him to task and was just asking basic normal questions after a game, what went right, what went wrong, and Withers would just respond with one-word answers. Greg, what kind of situation is Georgia Southern going into? It seems just super toxic and, and honestly a little strange in Texas right now. You know, here's the weird thing is most times going across, I mean halfway across the country on a short week yeah. where you're only playing on four days rest, you would give the home field team all the advantage. Southern's getting yeah. like seven and a half points, man, from Vegas. That's unbelievable. Yeah, that, shows, that shows just how little everybody in this conference thinks of the Texas State football program and athletic department right now. It is really a toxic environment, and uh, it, it should be an absolute sure thing. Yeah, I mean, I, and I don't even want to address what might happen if if Texas State were to pull off a Texas-sized miracle, I guess, but they, they, I they definitely will. do not. Yeah, I don't see that happening. Roll this one. I think, I think, Greg, if they cover, that might be a Texas-sized miracle. If they stay within two touchdowns, then maybe that's a sign of something going right. They do have a pretty, at least on film, a pretty impressive-looking freshman quarterback um, in Vic, but not a lot else going on in Texas State. So definitely no, take two. That, that is about as bad a situation as it gets in the conference right now. Yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't see a worse situation for, for as far as the mat, the matching of a coach with the team and the fan base and, and the, just the situation is, just doesn't seem right. It seems forced. Yeah, man, that, that, that's about as bad as it gets right now in the Sun Belt. I mean, there are schools that are having bad luck, but um, some of the ones that have stunk uh, are, are on the way up. Like, I believe Coastal Carolina will start to be a competitor in a year or two. Like yeah. Texas State, though, that, that, that's, that's a program right now that just seems completely lost. All right, and a couple injury notes um, quickly, Greg. Rashad Bird was held out this past week, the, the linebacker for Georgia Southern with a hip flexor. Chris Harris Jr. stepped up nice for him, I thought. Led, you know, tied for the team lead in tackles with seven um, on Saturday in his first career start. And then also cornerback Justin Birdsong, is, he, he was on the sidelines on Saturday with shoulder pads in his helmet, but was not able to play for the second straight week. Probably a wise move to keep Birdsong out, a talented freshman 
um, cornerback, and, and I look for him to be back soon. Um, not sure on Bird yet, but Greg, also you, you, I saw that you retweeted the uh, Troy quarterback. Do you, have you heard what that injury is? Can you fill us in on that? What's going on with Troy? Troy quarterback ACL out for the year. So all of a sudden, because uh, I, I know Troy's got a great friend, Seven, but all of a sudden it seems to me like this App State game might decide the division in two weeks. Yeah, and I think, don't they, do they play tonight uh, on Tuesday? Tuesday night? No, gosh, I'm not sure. I don't know. Troy, yeah, I think the fun belt does start tonight. Uh, I think the Tuesday action does start. Yeah, we'll have to look into that. But, yeah, so before we get to the interview, Greg, you want to tell everyone kind of what's going on with you guys this week and this weekend with, with football? Well, who knows exactly what's happening with with Hurricane Michael coming through? But we are we're going up to the Low Country in South Carolina for our Friday Night Blitz game of the week. We are finally putting May River on TV, which has just been the best story of any team around here. They're only a third year yeah. program. They were the school that got formed when Bluffton split in two two years ago, and they were just stinkers for the last two years. They only won two games each of the last two years. All of a sudden, this year they're six and zero. They've beaten the Hilton Head. They've beaten Bluffton. They've beaten Whale Branch. They're playing Buford on Friday night. If they win that game, they will be the kings of the low country, which would just be an amazing story. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're excited to have that one on TV. Yeah, so definitely tune in to, for that if you're a fan of high school football. Uh, for us at, at Savannah Morning News, we'll be, I'll be in Texas on Thursday night for the game with Georgia Southern, so definitely follow us on savannahnow.com slash sports. Follow me on Twitter at Jadon, J-A-U-D-O-N, sports, at Jadon Sports. Uh, for kind of updates with the Eagles as they travel to Texas on Thursday. Um, and then you want to check out our other podcasts that the Savannah Morning News offers, including weather updates on uh, the approaching hurricane or storm. So that's online at savannahnow.com slash podcast. As always, thank you, Zach, for helping us out, producer Zach. And uh, until next week, Georgia Southern fans, thanks for joining us. Adam Van Bremer here, editorial page editor of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com and the host of two regular podcasts, The Commute and Difference Makers. Get your daily local news and opinion fix on The Commute. Available each weekday afternoon, The Commute offers insights into the day's hottest topics with commentary from those who know the subjects best. Our other regular production is the bi-weekly Difference Makers podcast, which is dedicated to sharing stories and insights from Savannah's key players, the men and women who lead our city in commerce, in arts and culture, in philanthropy, in government, and in education. Episodes post every other Friday and like the commute are on demand through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at savannahnow.com. Make listening to the commute and difference makers a part of your regular routine today. All right, we're joined by Kev Chardello, the Texas State beat writer for the Austin American Statesman. Kev covers um, the Bobcats for the Austin American Statesman and, and can be followed on Twitter. Kev Thank you for joining us. You want to tell everyone how they can follow you before we get going? Sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you can follow me at at Kef underscore C. So it's at K-E-F-F underscore C. Perfect. Yeah, and, I, and I've been following you for a week or two now, and I'm certainly glad I followed you uh, before last weekend's game uh, featuring Texas State and 
Louisiana. Plenty of plenty of uh, storylines coming out of that one, but we'll get to that shortly. First, we want to we want to kind of scout Texas State for for Eagle fans um, schematically and personnel wise. Uh, so let's start on offense and kind of just give us an overview of where Texas State is offensively and kind of what they'll look like with the ball in their hands. Well, you know, they actually had one of their best offensive games, at least in the second half last week. Uh, I guess schematically they're, they're spread up-tempo style offense. They try and implement the run in there somewhat too. A lot of RPOs and QB draws. Um, they, they've struggled for sure finding an identity this season. A lot of that's had to do with the roller coaster at quarterback. But last game, they rolled with true freshman Tyler Vitt at quarterback, his first ever start. First half was rocky for the whole team, especially for Vitt. But then the second half, uh, threw for almost 300 yards, three touchdowns, even had a catching touchdown, 90-something yards rushing. So he, it was the best game by a quarterback this season. So they'll, um, safe to say they'll be rolling with him again on Thursday. But, you know, young quarterback in his second start, it's never going to be easy, especially against a uh, tough Georgia Southern defense. So, Kev, I saw they even broke out the, the Philly special for, for their freshman quarterback, and you said he caught a touchdown pass in the game. What, what skill set does he offer for those who haven't seen him yet? Um, I, I saw that he did rack up some numbers on the ground as well. Is, is he kind of a dual threat? You know, he, he was he's listed coming out of high school as just a, a – pro-style quarterback, right, right. but he's an, he an athletic kid, and he's bigger than he looks, like thicker. He, he's trucked over some guys on some runs. In fact, against Rutgers, when he had an appearance, he hurt a, a DB's ankle who tried to tackle him you know, when he turned on the truck stick on him. So, I mean, he's, he's got a lot in his arsenal. And the only thing that's working against him is his youth. You know, he's really young. The decision-making isn't quite there. He doesn't quite get the speed of FBS football compared to high school, but he throws that ball on a rope, and he has a baseball background, so you can definitely tell. Good, strong arm, and he's athletic. You know, like I said, just if there's one fault, it's it's his lack of experience. You know, he didn't have a lot of didn't have a lot of uh, offers coming out of high school and everything. So, kind of a steal for the Bobcats with Tyler Vitt. And is there anyone else, skill position wise, that Georgia Southern fans should be looking out for as far as the Texas State offense? Oh yeah, 100%. They should be looking for number six, Keenan Brown. Uh, he's in his first year at Texas State. He grad transferred from Oklahoma State. Big tight end. He's listed at 6'3", 250. Very quick. Um, he's had, uh, I, don't, I don't know the exact yardage he's had, but he's had three games, two games with over 100 yards, and then 90 yards last game. Four touchdowns on the year. He is, he is a big boy. Uh, he was a four-star recruit coming out of high school. Just couldn't see the field up at Oklahoma State. Transferred in Texas State, and this might be his only year he plays here, but he's vying for another uh, play another season. But he is he is uh, there's one guy that the Georgia Southern wants to double team. It's it's number six, Keenan Brown. Well, I can speak, you know, having seen Georgia Southern um, play this year, the, the middle of the field, especially in the passing game, has, has been the one weakness um, on that defense and and with the pass defense especially. Yeah, I'm looking at the Sunbelt stats here, Kef, and it says that that um, Keenan Brown is the fifth leading receiver in the conference uh, with receiving yards per game at 57.7. So that, that's pretty impressive for a tight end, no doubt. He's the only tight end in the top ten, too. Yeah, so he's I'm, leading tight end. I'm looking here, and it, I don't see any other tight ends, but, yeah, that's yeah. that's mighty impressive. And you say he's a four-star, so I guess that's – you know that speaks for itself, or a former four star. But yeah, so when Georgia's Once a four star, always a four star. <laughs> yeah. 
when Georgia Southern has the ball, obviously it's no secret what the Eagles are trying to do. Uh, you know, I don't think Texas State's going to come into Thursday's game being caught off guard by anything Georgia Southern's going to do or try to do with the ball. But defensively for Texas State, you know, what's kind of their identity and what do they hang their hat on or what are they going to try to do on Thursday? You know, before Saturday, I would have told you run defense was was the strong right. suit for Texas State's defense, but then they, they kind of got ran all over playing playing against Louisiana. So uh, it, it's, it's hard to peg an identity on this team again defensively. Uh, last week was, was not a great showing. I, I will say... Personally, I think they're in for a long day against the triple option. <laughs> that's a, that's one thing I can say for sure is that it's going to be it's going to be tough going for the Bobcats. Their defensive line is short, um, some players, so it's 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 going to be a tough one. Is there anybody up front in in the front seven that could kind of you know potentially change the game? I mean, it, it, you know, if they had a career-type game, could, could they potentially impact Thursday night's contest? You know, uh, Brian London has been a pretty steady player for the Bobcats. He's led them in tackling at middle linebacker the past few years. Um, he's not really a home run hitter as far as plays are. He's just every single down he's, he's in the play. If there is a guy in the front seven that can do that, I would say Frankie Griffin, number 18 at outside linebacker. Uh, he's mm-hmm. he's their, their best pass rush and gets real disruptive on certain run plays. You know, he, he did leave last game for a little bit with an injury, and, you know, Coach Withers didn't bring him up today at the press conference. But So I think that means he'll, he'll probably play. But, yeah, the, there's one guy, it's Frankie Griffin. Yeah, and just so Eagle fans know, Brian London for Texas State, a junior linebacker, is I think second in the conference in tackles with 47, and then Frankie Griffin tied for 10th uh, with 33 right now. Um, Kef, aside from what's going on, on the field at Texas State, um, and again, I would encourage folks to, to follow Kef on Twitter and kind of keep up with what's been going on with Texas State over the last really 72 hours. Um, Kef, off the field, it seems like Everett Withers is kind of either either feeling the pressure of the hot seat or he's either changing his course as far as how he's handling things. Um, could, could you kind of give folks a summary and an overview of maybe what happened after Saturday night's game and kind of where Coach Withers' frustrations lie? Well, sure. Uh, I mean, essentially where, where, his, where it lies is he, he is absolutely feeling the pressure for his job. I mean, they've gone 2-10 each of the last two seasons, and it is not looking much better this year. Uh, he was very short. With some, you know, he started out, he took responsibility, 100% responsibility for everything mm-hmm. that happened. And then when other reporters pressed him with questions and asked him to expand on that he kind of shut it down and had short answers and one word answers and he's obviously frustrated you know of yeah. losing is, is is tough and can only imagine the the amount of stress that's on him with losing you know it's and i'm not excusing any of that it's it wasn't a, a great look for him or for texas state but i do understand i understand he's under a tremendous amount of pressure and i, I don't envy that i really don't yeah um as far as the fan base, they're they're disgruntled. I mean, they've been supporting a team that's done a lot of losing. I mean, this is this is the so far Everett Withers is the losingest coach in Texas State's history, or in the Bobcats' history, I should say. And they've had football for over a hundred years. Wow. So uh, yeah, yeah, the, they've never had a ten loss season before Everett Withers, and they've had two with Everett Withers, and they're looking at a third one. 
So to put that a little bit in perspective, the last time they had, or the the only time they got close to ten losses, uh, well, I guess you know in 2015 they did, but 1938 they went 0 and 8. That was their worst season. So it's wow. been a long time since football has been this bad in this area. And honestly, they've fans have gone past Everett Withers being upset with him, and they've they've focused their energy on the athletic director, right. Dr. Larry Tice been the athletic director here for 15 years. Uh, they feel there is some systematic incompetence that people just don't care about the wins. They just want to be compliant and make money and, and make sure everything is fine and not go above and beyond to try and give these fans some wins, something to be something to be proud of, something to give them a reason why they're, they're donating money and paying money to go to games. So it's obvious, you know, they're, they're frustrated. Every Withers is frustrated. The fans are frustrated. It's uh, it's frustrating times for the Bobcats. That's for sure. Well, Kev, quickly, let me just ask you to follow up on that. Are, in your opinion, at least, are the pieces in place as far as the talent and the facilities and things of that nature for Everett Withers to be successful here? I mean, it, or is it kind of a larger issue? I mean, wh- which one do you think it it is? I think the pieces are absolutely here. I mean, you look at. Um, you look at softball, just won the Sun Belt. Track and field wins the Sun Belt. They had success in other sports, baseball and basketball, women's basketball for sure last season, men's basketball the year before that. Um, the, they're constantly expanding the facilities. They just put giant new screens inside Bobcat Stadium. They completely revamped uh, the baseball, softball, and basketball arena. They just unveiled all of that actually last Saturday. Um, so they are they are working to expand everything around it and as far as Withers team there is talent on this team I mean there are there are talented players uh, I as my personal opinion I don't feel like they're being set up to win wow. from, a, from a coaching standpoint well that's certainly fair Kev finally before we let you go if you kind of could quickly give us your prediction for Thursday how you think this one's going to turn out and then also if uh, I think right now Texas State's a 16-point underdog, if Texas State were to pull this upset, which would be you know obviously sizable, uh, what would that mean for the Texas State program? And and then your prediction. Well, my prediction is that 16 that 16 point uh, that 16 point window is a little low. I think Georgia Southern is going to win by a lot. I don't have an exact score for you, but I, I think it it, it it won't be hard. It won't be hard for Georgia Southern this week. If they pull it off, though, I'll gladly eat those words. Uh, I mean, you know, I'll eat crow on that one. It would be, it'd be huge for this program because obviously there, there's a lot of people who are, are disgruntled, as we just went through. And so they, they need a win. They need something to, to get excited about. Um, the only win this year is against an FCS team, Texas Southern. Uh, it seems the only wins recently have been against FCS teams, so beating an in-conference opponent would be huge. I mean, Withers only has one conference win in, in his, even his third season. It was against Coastal Carolina last year. So you, you get one against a team that's doing as well as Georgia Southern, a team that's rolling. I'm, I mean, it's, it'll be huge, be huge. I, I don't know if it'll take the pressure off Everett Withers. Uh, I think he's going to have to put together uh, about four more wins for, for people to, to calm down. You know, another another two and ten season isn't going to do it. Awesome. Well, Kev, we we appreciate you for joining us and giving us insights into Texas State before Georgia Southern heads there on Thursday night. Again, that's a seven thirty Eastern kickoff on ESPNU. 
from San Marcos, Texas. Kev, I'm coming to Texas. You got anywhere good I need to eat before I... Uh... Oh, brother. I got a lot of good spots for you in San Marcos. Hit me up when you get here. All right. I will, man. Thank you. All right. See ya. Thank you. Oh, he will. Adrian Peterson is taking care of things right now. Down the sideline. If he can get loose, he's gone. Illigway will score. The Wesley Fields. Touchdown. Georgia Southern. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.